Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. So I have many things to say. But not many things to say. That's that's intimidating. First of all, I want to say this song is by an artist called Bahamas. Let me just tell you something, because we have a special thing we're doing today on Ask or Tell Me Anything. And that is the following. There's going to be a theme running through the music that we use today. So we use a music. This is called the A segment. So this is the into the A. That's what we call it, into the A. Then we have an out of the A. And then we have an into the B. And then we have an out of the B. Now, we have a C segment, but that doesn't, it's not part of the game. So, <laughs> so the game that we're playing is that you have to figure out what the connecting thread is to the four songs. Or you could probably even figure out after three songs what the connecting thread is, if you could figure it out at all. So, and if you figure it out correctly, and you either, you could either phone in your answer in, during the C segment, I suppose, or... You could you could tweet it. You could tweet your answer at Colin McShow, at Colin McShow, C O L I N M C S H O W. And then if we come to the end of the show today, we're live from one to two. But some of you will be listening on podcasts. And if if no one has won, you would still have. You could email me. I'm giving too many options now. But my email address is Colin C O L I N at ctpublic.org. I would say though, I think it would be kind of cool if we use our Twitter account. So if you if you tweet. And you know the answer. You don't know the answer yet, but there is a piece. Let me say one more thing about the music, too, because it is a thing that was I was thinking about this weekend, and it's kind of what led me to devise this little game. So we've been having some conversations about needle drops. Needle drops in the term, in, in the sense of, you know, you're watching a TV show. Like Grey's Anatomy kind of really was one of the early TV shows to perfect this. You're watching the TV show, and then there's this kind of mood-setting song. That either you know or you don't know, but it's by an artist. And, you know, I, I will tell you an interesting thing. And this is actually true. <laughs> I sort of trying to remember. Okay, I sort of remember the name of the show. So the mayor of Hartford, Connecticut, Luke Bronin, the mayor of our capital city, was prior to being mayor of our capital city and prior to being a lot of things, was a working musician of some kind and who fancied himself a singer-songwriter and who does, you can still, I think, get 
his album <laughs> digitally on Amazon, although I'm not sure he wants anyone to know that, but I know it. And one of his songs was used as a needle drop on Dawson's Creek. I think it's called Cuba, but I, I, I could be wrong. Or Havana, or I don't know, something like that. Or maybe it's not anything like that. But anyway, I've been thinking a lot about needle drops. I've actually lost my train of thought here. But I've been thinking a lot about needle drops in movies. You know, I mean, think of Scorsese using that piano ending of Layla, you know, just the way that pre-existing music is used. And it really falls into two different categories. The songs you know. So Layla, you had some associations with before you saw the Scorsese movie. But there's also a discovery process, right? So, like, a lot of artists got some fame by just being used in Grey's Anatomy. And now it happens all over the place. In fact, there's somebody on my um, social media chatting with me who says the needle drop music on Yellow Jackets right now has become so targeted to the moment and almost kind of a literal interpretation of the moment in the show that it feels like it's a Broadway musical or something. But And that's not what you want. But, you know, it was even the case, for example, and we this came up over the weekend, too. So Nick Drake, who was this fabulously talented British musician who died at a very young age and was kind of in the process of being forgotten by most people, was rediscovered in two ways. One was through a needle drop on the movie Garden State. But even bigger than that might have been, I don't know if this counts as a needle drop, but his song Pink Moon was used in a Volkswagen commercial. And that's another whole thing, you know, that... Tunes are repurposed for commercials. So what is this all? So the reason I'm thinking about all this, and we're now ready to take your calls, by the way. I should give out the number. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. I was vamping a little bit because we weren't really ready to take your calls. But um, we are now. And you can call about anything you want, anything. The weirder, the better. Um the more esoteric, the better. One thing that I will sort of institute this week, I've never said it before, but it kind of came up last week, is if you call up about like a specific news story that I don't know, there's a chance that we won't take it, we won't put you on the air. I mean, because if, if there's nothing that I could possibly contribute to the news story by talking about it with no knowledge, we, we might not do that. But at the moment, we don't have any calls, so I, I can't afford to be picky. 888-720-WNPR is the number to call. Or 888-720-9677. Mr. Jonathan McPants is in there waiting to take your calls. So it has now reached the point with this kind of music that if you're watching a show and something comes on and you don't know what it is, I mean, for some reason or other, I refuse to put Shazam on my phone. I have this other thing that's like Shazam but not as good. Uh, and... So it doesn't work. It's called SoundHound or something. Anyway, it's terrible. But sorry if, you, if you're the person who made that app. But um, so I'm often having to look up a song maybe afterwards, after the show's over. I'll go, I'll get on the, for example, there are, with a show like Ted Lasso, which is what I'm about to discuss here, there are um, places where you can read every song that's used in any given episode. So I was watching, I think, what is still the most recent available episode of Ted Lasso. And this song came up. Uh, and it was, in fact, by the artist that you just heard at the beginning of the show, although it was a different song. And I never heard of this artist, Bahamas. And so I went on my streaming service, Tidal, and learned more about that uh, this artist. And I found songs I liked even better than the one they used on <laughs> Ted Lasso. But that's like a way that you discover music now. It is now really, I think, I mean, a certain kind of person does that. 
Um, I sort of got a person, by the way, who's not anything like the character Ted Lasso, who is like, you know, still rooted in classic rock. Classic rock is a radio format. And the reason it's called classic rock is because failure of imagination doesn't really, it's too long. And it's maybe, you know, not positive enough. Anyway, so that's one topic, but you're not going to talk about my topics. You're going to call up about whatever the heck you ever want to talk about. Uh, and and I think that's what you're doing right now. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to your calls in just a second. 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. I do want to say that uh, this week uh, we've got a couple of uh, special things ready for you. Well, we're, they're not ready yet, actually. That's the wrong way to put it. But um, but Martin Amos, the uh, celebrated bad boy British novelist, uh, died uh, at the end of last week. Uh, and we're going to – we have a, an interview that we did with him quite a few years ago. We're, we're going to Terry Gross this thing is what I'm really saying. What are they going to do when Terry Gross dies? I hope it's a long, long time, you know, 40, 50 years from now. But, you know, they'll just have so much tape. <laughs> <laughs> we went to another Terry Gross appearance on Fresh Air. Uh, anyway, we're going to Terry Gross it. We're going to take the Martin Amos thing, and we're going to add some fresh content to it at the top of the show. Uh, do probably 20 minutes with uh, Dan Coyce, we hope, with who hosts, I guess, a podcast that's about Martin Amos. Anyway, we're going to do that. We also have, a, I, I think, what's going to be a really fun show on Friday, on Thursday, uh, Alexandra Petri, who is the very celebrated humorist, for the Washington Post. He's got a new book out about history. Uh, I mean, it's a comedic look at history. And um, so and she's been on our show quite a few times before, as has Mike Pesca, the host of The Gist. And on one, at one for one show, they were on together to talk about vexillology. And so we are going to, we're going to get the gang together on Thursday, get the old gang together. <laughs> and the three of us are going to talk mostly, I think, about Alexander's book, but you, I, I really don't know. These are wide ranging people. Uh, and But anyway, it'll be fun because Mike, who hosts The Gist, which is a celebrated national podcast, has really re- recently been reading kind of promotional spots for our show and, and saying very nice things as he does. He doesn't read them. He just – we just tell him to say something nice about the show for 60 minutes and uh, – 60 seconds, and that's what he does. All right. So uh, all of that is to come. And then the nose – oh, the nose – on Friday, if you want a homework assignment, uh, it's jury duty, which I believe is on Freevee. Is it on Freevee? I think it is. Uh, and I don't – I mean, I know what it is. I haven't watched any episodes yet. But it's it's sort of interesting how many different people have recommended it, including I think at least three times on the nose at the end when we do recommendations. Different panelists have recommended it. And they haven't necessarily been always the people that you would think would be recommending that. So anyway – all of that is to come, but right now let's talk a little bit to our people, our people up here. All right, let's talk first to Don in Wallingford. Hi, Don. You have the floor. Don, are you with us, Don? Oh, I hope it was one of those days where the calls don't get on the air. Let's try. Um, let's try Bill, and we'll we'll find out how much trouble we're in right now. Bill from Manchester, are you with us? Hey, hey. Bill. Can you hear me, Bill? Oh, we seem to have a problem. <laughs> Get Mr. Amatruda back in here immediately. See if we can figure out what the problem is. I'll try it one more time. Um, I'll try one. So Bill from Manchester, I'm about to try to take your call. Bill, are you there? Can you hear me? No. This is Don. I can hear you. Oh, you're Don, and you're in the wrong place on the board. Well, if you're Don, maybe the, maybe the two, maybe you were just inverted on the board. I think there's no reason to panic at the moment. Hi, Don. Uh, you have the floor. Okay, thanks, Colin. 
um, great to call in to a show called Colin. Um, love the show. Got a bit of um, esoteric movie trivia for, I, I think it will only be appreciated by the senior citizen set. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went to a, a book promotion uh, not too long ago. Uh, actually, the book was called Now Is Not the Time to Panic, uh, mm-hmm. apropos of what you just said. And the author was this hip young guy from Tennessee, and I really liked the book. And he surprised me by saying in the course of his remarks that his favorite novel was True Grit. And By Charles, was, Char- I, Charles Portis? Is that who wrote that? Yes, sir. But you're, you're one up on me there, and I didn't know that. I, I was a little surprised to hear anything about True Grit, and I didn't know that it was even a novel. So I um, decided to go out and read it. It was wonderful. Um, and then I decided to read, uh, to sorry, to, to see the movie or one of the two movies. So I decided to start with the 1969 John Wayne version where he plays Rooster Cogburn. And early in the movie, there's a scene of, and it takes place in the late 19th, early 20th century. And there's a scene of three bad, or three outlaws being hung or about to be hung. Uh, in this little town in Arkansas, and one and, of them is Don Knotts. No, I'm making that. Well, up. I'm making that up. You, you got my name is Don Kelly, so you're, you're something coming through the yeah. the wires here. But uh, uh, no, but you're on the right track. One of the three um, people being hung in there, there you can barely see them. They're not featured in any way that you can think of. They're just bodies being hung. One of them is uh, a Native American, and. For some reason, I, I needed to pause. The, otherwise, I would never have known. And when you pause it on Netflix, sometimes it'll show you the names of the actors that are in the scene. Mm-hmm. So I paused this thing, and I looked at the screen, and I said, oh, my God. One of, the, one of the Native American guy who was about to be hung, his name was Jay Silverheels. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so you know who that is. I think Jay Silverheels is he the guy, the crying guy in the commercial? In the was like the no, 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 no. I got it. Is he Tonto? Is he Tonto? Yes. So Tonto. Okay. I was. I knew it was one of the other. Those are two pretty disparate guesses, but okay, he was Tonto. So they were hanging Tonto in True Grit. Wow. Yep. And and they were sweeping it under the rug too until you caught them on Netflix. Yep. So. So did you watch the uh, other, anyway. did you watch the other True Grit too? No, I didn't. I didn't actually finish this one. <laughs> Frankly, I, the book is. I mean, I shouldn't say the book is far superior since I didn't finish the movie or either one of them. But I, I love the book, and if you if you haven't read it, you uh, please you know do yourself a favor. It's, yeah. Well, Charles Portis. Charles Portis is kind of a thing. He's like a writer's writer. He's like a writer mm-hmm. that other writers are more likely to know, maybe than the general public. And I mean, he, mm-hmm. he actually wrote you know quite a few novels and had a relatively long career. I don't know if he's still with us, but as a college professor at the same time, yeah. too, somewhere I think at Duke or somewhere. So yeah, like he's a, he's actually like a writer. People you know people particularly people who write uh, know. So well, thanks for all of that. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. First of all, <laughs> why are they hanging Jay Silverheels? That just it doesn't seem right. But of course, I mean, he was getting paid, right? Uh, you get paid whether you got you get hanged or whether you ride to the rescue. All right. So what we figured out is that the calls were reversed on the board somehow. So we're going to try it. Uh, Bill from Wallingford now. Hi, Bill. Hi, I'm Bill from Manchester. Oh, from Manchester. That's right. Everything's very confused on the board, and people will not be afforded their regular identities uh, for another few minutes. But uh, but you are Bill, and that's really the important thing. 
So you said ask you anything. Yep. So we're going to get into some weird zones here. Okay. So I was sitting there listening about the bank failures the other day, and I was at the same time actually reading, of all things, the governor's messages and the legislature of Connecticut's proceedings. In the middle of it, the governor points out that banks are leeches on society and that he's really unhappy with them taking advantage of people's money and not doing anything of any good. And we're talking like the 1840s here. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they force all the banks to donate into basic public institutions. They would like if you were alive, if if your show was on then, they'd say, oh, you need to send Colin 500 bucks. I support that. They sat down and they went around. These incorporations were forced to give like Connecticut General Hospital a thousand dollars, the Connecticut Historical Society, 500 bucks, Poppers, 500 bucks. And, you know, I was reading that and talking to my my wife about this. And she said, why don't corporation? Did did Hmm? you say Poppers? Poppers, yes. There were state poppers, people who didn't belong to a town. Oh, poppers. I thought you said poppers. And I I feel like banks probably probably already spend money on poppers. No, you know, no, no, the, exactly. But it's it's just sort of like I was sitting here thinking these guys in the 1840s were doing more things that were a public good <laughs> than the corporations are doing today. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts in that matter. Well, first of all, you'd, you'd maybe want to be a little less heuristic about this and you'd want to know. I mean, they were being forced to do stuff in the 1840s. Most banks these No, no, no. Do- the incorporations were being forced into it, but the General Assembly yeah. was forcing the banks yeah, that's what to I'm take saying. their profits yeah. and use them for public good. Well, not all their profit, profits, presumably. Um, but, they usually took about 5 to 10%. Yeah. So I, I, you'd want to know what the general level of elemosinary activity of banks is these days. Most banks do have, like, you know, even a decent-sized yeah. regional bank, you know, has within it uh, some kind of charitable giving department that redirects this stuff. I, I'll say a couple of things about banks. First of all, I think banks are the easiest business to be in. <laughs> In in the world, I'm amazed any bank ever fails, because think about what you're doing. If I'm a banker, I am borrowing money from you, the depositor. I am borrowing your money, and I am giving you a certain amount of interest on them on that money, and then I'm going to lend that money out to someone else and charge them more interest. I, I don't understand <laughs> how well, you no, can possibly. That's, that's what the governor's point was. Yeah, he's like they're not even producing a good. They're just taking no, people's money but, you in know, the community. You need banks. You need them to do that. I'm just surprised that they fail. The reason that they fail, of course, is that they have some other money sitting around that represents the kind of value between those two transactions, and they have to invest that somehow. And, of course, what we know with Silicon Valley was they made some investments that they couldn't get out of yep. easily without having to take a huge hit. So that's how they, that's how they lose out. I, I don't I mean, it seems to me you, you, you don't do it by legislative fiat, and I think we live in a day where that will never go over. But, but I do— no, no, I, no, but— I do agree yeah, that the that, 1840s they did it. Yeah, that's what shocked me. Right. I mean, a, a really elitist sort of. They still felt that corporations needed to do a public good, and they literally every year examined their books as well as books as other corporations to make sure they were fulfilling a public good. Right. I mean, you know, most com- most most big corporations have that. I, I I agree with you to the extent that we need to do more to kind of create a sense of commonwealth and common wheel and, and, and accountability to the to the public good in corporations. And of course, one of the places that this is really emphatically true is the business that I've been in for a lot of my life, which is the broadcast business. I mean, it's a little less 
clear in public radio what it is we're supposed to do because we're a nonprofit. But, you know, for an awful long time, uh, it was understood that the airwaves were a public trust and that commercial broadcasters owed the public something, and which is how you got the fairness doctrine, how you got the, necess- the necessity of keeping a public file that could be inspected by people at, you know, at a moment's notice, just regular members of the public. Uh, and there was this kind of sense that you were supposed to do some things. And during the Reagan administration in particular, that idea kind of went out the window. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, companies companies need to participate in the common wheel and the public good. Most of them just do it. You know, most of them just do it because they don't want to be the company that doesn't have any kind of arm for public giving or or programs to to create relief for people who use whatever service they provide. Or I mean, you, you know, you. you Ideally, you'd want them to do that without being forced by legislative fiat. But um, but I take your point. You know, I take your point. I have an update. So the Lone Ranger ended its run in nineteen is it fifty seven nineteen fifty seven, and True Grit, the original True Grit with John Wayne and Glenn Campbell, uh, and Kim Darby. Right, Kim Darby was the um, was made in nineteen sixty nine. So Jay Silverheels, you know, and there weren't. There still isn't enough work probably for Native Americans, but nobody was making reservation dogs then. Nobody was casting big roads and rolls in Yellowstone for poor Jay. So he may have been pretty happy to get hanged, you know, on that particular day, uh, cinematically speaking. All right. So we have lots of room on the board, lots of ways for people to call in. Well, there's only one way to call for people to call in. Lots of impulses that might prompt a person to call in. Let's put it that way. 888-720-WNPR. Today is Ask or Tell Me Anything. 888-720-9677. 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. We're going to take a little break here. Remember, listen to the song. And if you can figure out how, and I'll tell you afterwards who the song is by when I come back. You have to figure out how they're all threaded together. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. 
I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. So don't call me on my phone I'm so high, I'm touching ceilings Can't come down, this feeling's gone Let the truth be told It isn't like that in reality Want that dream they sold Money so bad I said give me the money And the cars and the girls uh, Take anything if you want it When you're sitting on top of the world Still dripping on a so that song is by uh, Preston Pablo. The song that went out of the A segment was by Bazia Bulat. And the question is, I really like this song. <laughs> um, the question is, what do all the songs we're using today have in common? And if you know the answer, you could you could call in with it at 888-720-WNPR or 888-720-9677 and say, ay, 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 I think I know the answer. Or you could test, you could, uh, you could do the um, Twitter thing. You could tweet at Colin McShow. And there would be a prize. I don't know what it is exactly, but I know that <laughs> we're, I think, the only show that does this. And we do it on a semi-regular basis. We offer a prize for, you know, you're doing something very smart. But we don't know what it is. We don't really, but we have things here. In fact, we did like a whole uh, basket of delights for this person who won one of our contests. It was really a nice thing. It had lots of things in it. But we actually went out and got some of those things. All right. So um, so let's go to these. Both look very interesting. We'll start here with what I hope is Paul in Groton. And then we also have Kathy in Mystic. Excited about her, too. All right, Paul, you have the floor. Ay, 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 ay. Am I going to go old school on you? Okay. All right. Let's see how far we can get with this uh, before I choke up. Uh, Memorial Day is this weekend, and uh, my subject is the draft. Mm -hmm. Okay. My take is, uh, because I'm so old school, um, uh, every... I, I like I like Israel's uh, approach to the um, military service. If you're um, of a certain age and you're in this country, you need to do some time, and you need to have some skin in the game. That way, every family uh, is involved and included, and uh, a lot of the baloney that goes on. Uh, on the news, in the streets, in the subway. Um, by the way, if I was in a subway, I would want that guy on board with me. Wait a uh, minute. Which guy do you want with you? Dan. Dan. That uh, guy? Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm on the subway and um, uh, you don't know, you don't know who's going to push who onto the railroad track. So I would want a guy like Daniel on the subway with me. Yeah. Well. 
that's al- anyway. that's alarming. Well, let me just say a few things about the draft because I, I think it's important. Yeah, First yeah, of all, yeah, yeah. the draft still exists as a legal entity. I believe the draft is still a law on the books. There are occasional debates about whether or not to take that law off the books, particularly because it's an all-male draft. The law, I believe, is for an all-male draft. We obviously uh, have women in the services these days. There are a lot of problems with with the draft. First of all, the truth is not everybody goes. You know, I mean, there's been really no time in the history of the draft in America where where risk was apportioned equally. And certainly, as we know, during the Vietnam era, infamously, 16% of the army was uh, young black men who made up 11% of their age cohort in the general population. So if you're poor, if you're black, uh, if you're disadvantaged, typically you wind up in service in a way that... You you know, uh, more advantaged people do not. Uh, and maybe in that sense, it's really not like Israel. I don't really know enough about Israel's draft to know how easy it is to get out of. But, you know, like Dick Cheney wasn't out there. He was getting student deferments. He was fine with sending people to war. But no, thank you. I don't think I'll be going myself. So, I mean, there's that problem. The other problem is it's a very expensive way to run an army. I think there was a report by Melvin Laird years ago, uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, former Secretary of Defense at that time, I think, indicating that we save billions of dollars every year by in training costs and, and, and personnel costs by having a volunteer army. So, you know, I mean, I think everybody should serve somehow. Uh, I think national service is a great idea. I think it can be done domestically through anti-poverty programs and stuff like that. I think there's a great argument for everybody to do stuff, you know, for as, a, as part of maybe a year of national service. But I don't know that we necessarily need, need everybody in the Army uh, or the, arm, the armed services. And no, you don't want to hang out with that guy in the subway. That's not a good idea. Uh, all right. So let's go to, I didn't want to do reprimand him more than that, but uh, I don't want, uh, so here, let's go to Kathy in Mystic. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Okay. This is a question about politics or a comment about politics. Um, I've come to the point where I really feel like uh, for elected national office, it would be helpful to all voters to have a kind of a job description. And it should uh, list the important characteristics uh, of someone who wants to run for office as if you, the public, were going to hire this person. For instance, uh, qualifications for president, for instance, uh, a record of public service, um, able to pass security clearance, um, demonstrated financial responsibility, etc. You know, you get the picture? I get the picture. It's an interesting concept. Uh, I think particularly that last one. How did you say that one again? Uh, demonstrated financially respon- a financial responsibility. See, to me, that's like an exa- example of a sort of um, <clears throat> a kind of shifting, something that could have a shifting de- definition and one that might be okay. un- unfairly. I mean, it look, here's a question of words. But- the, yeah, the reality of this is that one of the fundamental aspects of our American system is that anybody can run for office. As long as you hit the age requirement and you're a citizen or whatever, you know, whatever the those basic things are, anybody can run for office. I, I have a very vivid memory of 2006. Ned Lamont in his first political uh, activity is primarying Joe Lieberman. And, and they have a debate and Joe Lieberman keeps going, who is Ned Lamont? Who is he? We don't know who he is. Who is he? He keeps in that very Joe Lieberman way coming back to that. Who is this guy? And I'm sitting there at home and I'm watching the debate and I'm thinking, Ned, all you need to say is, you know who I am, Joe? 
I'm a guy who thinks I can do this job better than you can, and that's all I need to be under the American system. <laughs> you know, I, I met the minimum qualifications to primary you. I don't need to be anybody. I, I need just to be a citizen who thinks he can do the job uh, or she can do the job. It, and I think that's sort of a great aspect. I know what you're saying, and you're not wrong in the sense that we've watched – I mean, it was sort of—it's been a problem with some of the people who've run for governor on the Republican side in this state—is that they just have done nothing. And Trump is the same way. He—he he has no record of public service besides being president. You know, I mean, he didn't run for school, the board of education, because he didn't know his kids' names. Right. You know. Um, and we have senators who can lie about their entire CV. Right. Well, there's 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 that problem too. That might be a way to poke holes in your in your system. George Santos would go, I did all those things. And more besides. But uh, somebody's going to have to fact check all that stuff. I think I sort of feel this about this the same way I felt about the guy talking about the banks. I think we need to do this as a society as opposed to a set of laws. You know, I think as a society, a society, we need to affirm that idea that, no, you can't be governor as your first job. Now, I think, once again, part of the American system is you can you can be governor as your as your first elected office. Uh, and, and for, yeah, but I don't want somebody who's running for the Secretary of Treasury who has uh, declared bankruptcy two or three times and had to be bailed out by his his father's ba- uh, banking buddies. Well, that that would be it would be preferable, but that becomes part of a campaign. That's what a camp. That's what a campaign is about. You know, I mean, a, a campaign is about raising those kinds of issues and seeing whether they get traction with the people. Ultimately, in in a democratic system. I'm trying to see if I can channel Plato and John Rawls at the same time. You want as much power to reside with people, with voters, as possible. So you you want less power in the form of enshrined and possibly calcified laws uh, and, and more power in the hands of the actual people who vote. So I would sort of say don't deprive me of the opportunity to either vote for or not vote for Joe Schmo, irrespective of his financial failures or his unwillingness to, you know, run for town council before running for president. Let me just make up my, I'll make up my own mind about that. <laughs> Don't make up my mind for me in advance. See what I'm saying? I say, I say push the power back to the people as much as possible. But what happens if the Citizens United under the Citizens United uh, ruling. If it isn't the voters who are deciding, it's the corporations and and uh, the money. Well, now you're introducing reality into the picture, and I don't think that's a fair <laughs> tactic. But yes, no, I mean you're absolutely right that all, all, everything that I just said is colored and tinted. I'm just making my producer mad by not using the word tinctured, uh, is, is colored and tinted by realities like that. Because of Citizens United and corporations are people and money is speech, that, that yes, this is not a really open system where Mr. Smith gets to go to Washington. Um, this, this, is, this is a system that, that does enshrine a certain kind of privilege uh, and make it possible. I mean, look, why does Joe Biden at the moment not have anybody primarying him, even though there are substantial defects uh, in his candidacy and the Democratic Party and America might be better served if there was a primary just to kind of test these things out and see, see you know, uh, see whether he really is the best choice for a second term because nobody has the money to do that for the exact reason you just said. I would like the people to have a lot of power to, you know, uh, even during the primary process to say, eh, you know, let's run somebody against him, see how he does. 
but yes, you're you're absolutely right about that. But I do also don't I think, think the Kathy bill fixes that problem. Well, I think it should be a minimum requirement for a candidate to be put on the ballot that he if he or she is able to pass a security clearance. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that <laughs> That's sounds reasonable. That sounds reasonable as long as I mean as you know, as the the hidden law professor in me wants to know, all right, who is deciding what the security clearance is? Are the questions that um, that are asked as part of the security clearance entirely relevant to to service, or do they have something to do with something else? In other words, you know, if there's a barrier to entry into the political process, you've got to make sure that it isn't one that's so unrepresentative of what the job really is. Back to your original point. That you know that we we might be missing out on somebody good or somebody deserving. I understand your point, which is if I, I think you should probably have to pass the security clearance that you're going to have to live under if you get the job anyway. But you know, I don't know. And, I don't know what. And the commander in chief. How about if the commander in chief uh, had to um, adhere to um, standards that the military has for promoting officers? I mean, there's such a thing as being morally unfit for leadership. <laughs> In the military. These are all decisions that the electorate makes, I think. These are all decisions that the electorate has to make. They have occasionally decided, as recently as 2016, that someone morally unfit to be in the White House could be in the White House. It could be argued that they made the same decision in 1992, knowing less about what they were doing. But... um, but you know, the, the voters decide. The voters make their make their choices. The voters make their mistakes somehow. I think part of having a democracy is the voters make their mistakes. We live with those mistakes, whether we like it or not. All right, I've probably got time for one more call here. Then we'll go to a break. We'll come back, and we'll have plenty of time afterwards. Let me give out the numbers again: eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. That's eight 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 seven two zero. 9677-888-720 WNPR. But if you can't find the letters in your phone dial, it's 888-720-9677. We have a Martin in the People's Republic of Mansfield. Hi, Martin. Uh, it's the People's Republic of Mansfield, by yeah, the way. That's what I said. Uh, Colin. Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear the people's part. Oh, Thank okay. you. You got it right. Yeah. Very good. And thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um okay. So one prompted me to call you in the first place is I, I've noticed you've got a long standing um, I don't know how to quite say it, but um, you put down classic rock and roll a lot. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. Gee <laughs> 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 <G> whiz. <laughs> um, Guilty. There's, a, there's, there's another reason why it's called classic rock and roll. Yo, yeah. To me, anyway. Mm. Like, why is classical music called classical music? You know, when Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and all those guys were, they didn't call it classical music. It was just music. Right. So why is it classic rock and roll? Because it stands the test of time. So, right? so Little Richard it isn't, so Little Richard doesn't, sta- uh, doesn't stand the test of time? I think that he certainly does. I but he wouldn't. He wouldn't. It, but, do, but he wouldn't be part of a classic cla- classic rock format. Classic rock format is, has a very specific meaning, right? It's, Colin, Colin yeah. there are, there are plenty of other music genres that do stand the test of time as well. Right. Jazz, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, absolutely. Um, Elvis, whether or not he's part, he kind of bridges that transition period. All of them. But what we, what has been traditionally called tra- classic rock and roll. 
is music that kids today, kids in their teens, are listening to. Now, let me put that in perspective. When you and I were teenagers, we're kind of of the same age. Would we have been listening to music that was written in the 30s, 20s? Um, no, not even close. Was not happening. But lots of kids are not only listening to it, but they're inspired to it, including uh, I've got nephews and nieces that, that love it. So that's what I mean. It stands the test of time. Yeah, I mean, l- I'll just say, let me just, it, it let me just back, let me, okay, let me talk, Martin, okay, it's, my, it's the Colin McEnroe Show, not the Martin for the People's Republican Mansfield Show. I, I, first of all, I'll say, this comes up mostly for, or most significantly for us around the music that we use on the show, and every day on the show we use typically about five songs uh, to get us in and out of segments and to end the show. And what I tell my producers is, we work from 1923 to 2023. That's where you go fishing for your music, that it's really that entire expanse. And I'm as excited to find the right Jerome Kern or George Gershwin tune as I am to find, uh, you know, the right, I don't know, Taylor Swift song. Uh, that, that, that it's all out there, that, we, that we, we use the entirety of it. Now, I happen to find classic rock really, really boring. Uh, <laughs> And, and like I just, it's unlikely that we're going to use a tune by Journey, or Van Halen, or I think we did use um, a like a Fleetwood Mac classic era Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks Fleetwood Mac. I don't can't remember why we would have done such a thing, but I think we did. Once in a while, it'll happen. Uh, there's just there'll be just be a really powerful case for using that situationally. But I just find it's boring. It's kind of you know, a little bit. Well, no, I won't say that. I'll just get in trouble if I do. But um, oh, well, let's just well, say, let's just say, there's a lot of reasons why. It. Let's just say, a little. There's a lot of reasons why Little Richard isn't a classic rock artist. You know, let's, let's okay, say there's so a lot of reasons why I Al Green, it. You, Al Green, who was performing. And you want to hear more? Yeah. Okay. Was, what you've heard it before? You want to hear more? I've heard it before. I want to hear. I love it. And this is when I get into the DJs and how I find new music. Because there's a lot of music out. It's called alternative rock that is heavily influenced by classic rock, and I occasionally find it when I'm driving down the highway, mm-hmm. and I say, "Oh, that's a great song." Who? I have no idea who's playing that. I want to find out. But well, this DJs is today. They don't tell you. They don't well. tell you. It used to be that after every set, they would say that was. Yeah, that was Dark Side of the Moon by Pink yeah. Floyd. That was Here Comes the Sun by The Beatles. That was Venus and Mars by Paul McCartney and Wings. And there was a theme there. Right. You so, don't get yeah, that yeah. anymore. Well, yeah. You, well, first of all, I, I, I would sort of, I, I don't want to make you feel old, but that's really not how most people discover music these days. I, I was talking at the beginning of the show, you might not have been listening, about the fact that one of the ways that I discover music these days is through needle drops on television and in movies. And particularly on television, they often are using something pretty recent. Uh, we had a little debate on social media this re- this weekend about Ted Lasso and how music is used. Because, yeah, in fact, you know, the, the two characters, uh, Ted Lasso and Coach Beard, are like classic rock guys. But the music, which is, I think, curated by Marcus Mumford and maybe some other people, is really, really interesting and really, really disparate. But the other thing is, for the most part, you know, it's really easy to discover new music these days. You have a streaming service. Uh, I have Tidal. They are constantly telling. Uh, one of the things that I I look at a couple of times a week on Tidal is something called New Discoveries. Uh, and it's just they've picked, you know, they inserted the algorithm knows kind of the things that I like. But the algorithm also knows that the kind of things that I like range from sort of Phoebe Bridger's kind of independent rock to 
sort of, you know, new, I won't say classical because that's the wrong term, but, you know, the work of artists like Max Richter or, you know, some cool thing by Steve Reich, Steve Reich or somebody, uh, to jazz, to Latin stuff. So anyway, there's just like, it's all there. I can just go through it, you know, click to the next one if I don't like the first 30 seconds of the first one. And before before I know it, I've found five or six new really interesting songs. So don't depend on DJs to uh, to influence your music. You know, go for yourself and look around and, and, and let computers help you instead of DJs. Eventually, they're going to be the same thing, and it's probably going to be fairly soon. To a certain degree, it already is. All right, we're way over the clock. we got to take a break. We'll come back. We're back. I want to say we've got plenty of room for calls right here, just a few minutes left. But if you called, I'd like to get at least one more woman caller on the air today. Kathy's the only woman to call in. 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Women get priority if they call in. 888-720-W... I shouldn't say that because now the men won't call either. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. Now, I also have to say thank you to Kat Pastor. She's our wonderful technical producer. She there. She is in the... She even waved today. She's very animated. Uh, and Dylan Rays, who's kind of uh, the backup for Kat if anything ever happens to Kat. Like, she goes on a wonderful vacation. Uh, but he's down in Virginia. has been sending up music for the billboard that runs right before the show. Uh, and he's making very creative choices. Uh, and Jonathan McPants is the producer of the show today and is in the booth right now screening calls, should any come in, uh, 888-720-WNPR. And we are officially leaderless. We're, uh, for a few days, our senior producer, Lily Tyson, who injects a quality of responsibility into our activities, uh, is uh, not around. She's enjoying herself on a vacation. 888-720-9677 is a number that you can call. If not, uh, we can. Uh, I could talk about, and I, I have a, I have Mr. Carp envelopes. I could open a Mr. Carp envelope as well. Uh, I just want to finish up what I was, was saying to Martin because I think this is sort of worth talking about. I got an email from a guy. We did a show about UFOs. It was our third UFO show. We did a show about UFOs, and I'd found a, a, a piece of music to open the show with. It was by Louis Louis Prima. It was called Beep Beep. It's probably re- released in the. I don't know, late 1950s, early 1960s, something like that. took a little while to find it, although I think they used it on the new Billy Crudup show uh, as well. And I was so proud of this thing. It just is a terrific song. Uh, And this guy wrote in, and he was criticizing everything about that show, including the music. And he says, your music is really kind of old. And he said, you should use this really cool song by Jefferson Starship. And I looked up the song. It was 50 years old. And that's the problem with classic rock is that they think other stuff is old. (laughs) They don't think classic rock is old, even if it's 50 years old. So anyway, all right, we have lots of women calling in here. Here's Donna from Cheshire. Let's see how many women we can get on the air. Hi, Donna. Hi, how are you? Just fine. Um, Calling on a sad note, unfortunately, but didn't know if you were aware that um, Don Adams had passed away? No, I didn't. And we're not talking about the Get Smart Don Adams. We're talking about the musician, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, from NRBQ. Yes, about a month ago, I guess. And it was 
um, stomach cancer and very quick, so he didn't suffer. Well, that's good. It's good to know, but, but sad to know. Yes, but you know what was very interesting? I had recalled um, that when he had left the band, he um, went back to school, was doing some teaching up in um, northern New York where they were, um, but I didn't know when I saw his um, LinkedIn profile, he actually had a degree in physics. Wow. And, um, taught, yeah, physics for like 10 years, which was very interesting, I thought. Right. Another thing that's sort of apropos, first of all, thank you for calling in about that. One thing about NRBQ at various stages is they were kind of a little bit what I appreciate because they would do sort of stump the band thing and things in their concerts. And you could call out a song from, you know, anywhere in about a 40 year continuum, including stuff kind of before the birth of rock and roll, and they would be able to play it. And I think that's a problem. I don't like it that people, they, people know 15 years of popular music. It's whatever 15 years occurred between the time they were 15 and the time they were 30. And then, and then they, they don't ever learn anything else. All right. Here's Marianne from Stonington. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Colin. How are you? Just fine. I'm calling you from the parking lot of um, the Costco in Niantic, and I'm doing the classic NPR thing where I'm waiting for the show to be over before I go into the store. <laughs> so kudos to you. <laughs> Could I give you a list of a few items to pick up for me? or No, probably not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I come here for like, this, this was my pandemic go-to for the only place you could both buy groceries, which were necessities, and, and clothes shopping. Yes. So... Everything I ever wore in the last three years probably came out of the Costco yeah. warehouse. But um, so not very fashionable, but that's okay. But you can spill a lot of olive oil on it. All right, and we should get to your point, uh, and because because we have one other, we have a you're a Marianne, we have a Mary Beth calling up who's trying to win our contest. So you, you should make your point about music radio station. Well, here's the thing that your previous caller, um, I understand his dilemma and um, understanding how radio is programmed these days is very you know very linear, but. Um, I haven't, you know, it's another NPR station. I won't say the call letters on your show, but it's out of Long Island, the east end of Long Island. And there's a show in the afternoon called The Afternoon Ramble. And because this guy seems to appreciate classic rock, it's a perfect mashup of you'll hear a classic yeah. Led Zeppelin song. Then you'll hear Phoebe Bridgers. Like oh. they, he, that he, sounds very he cool. All right. So we, we hope Martin can find this, and I don't mean to cut you off, but let's quickly. Mary Beth, we have seconds to go. What's your guess? Is it Euphoria? No, it's not. Although Euphoria is a nice thing. I mean, it's a nice thing. No, the correct answer. No, I'm not going to give the correct answer. What if a podcast listener figures it out? All right. Thanks for listening today. Play your Kraftwerk song. We're almost out of time. The number you have reached has been disconnected.